Me? What have I been yeah, up we to? Sp- we could just do it. Just do. It. We'll just do a chat. We'll just catch up. <laughs> we we'll haven't seen you for. Uh, haven't seen you for a week because I've been flying to Australia and uh, trying to get over the jet lag and watch the World Cup at strange <laughs> hours of the day. I think it's more like, what have you been up to? Because like you're the one that picked up and and you like flew halfway across the world to another continent. Yeah, well, we settled into our uh, Airbnb in uh, in Port Stephens, just north of Sydney, to fight off the jet lag. I've been getting up in the morning and going out for a jog, so that's been good. I've been exploring mm-hmm. the area a little bit, jogging around, taking photographs of strange birds and strange plants. Okay, um, just don't touch any of them. Well, although plants, you know, how how harmful can that be? You just just don't eat them, I guess. Well, I touched some of the birds uh, a few days ago. Did you see the video? <laughs> Yeah, we came across these uh, lorikeets fighting in the middle of the uh, trail, fighting each other. Jeez, it seemed it seemed like you wanted to like break up the fight, but they were yeah. having none of it. They, they were, were just totally, ignoring you. They were totally ignoring me, so I had to put my hand in and like grab one and throw it away, throw it into oh, the air. No. <laughs> this is strange. That's pretty funny. And uh, apparently, you haven't seen any snakes yet on the trail. No. Well, I sent you a photograph. Did you see the photograph mm, I sent you? I, I did. The snake? I, I think it's just because you weren't wearing your glasses. Because I zoomed in on that. It was a hose. Yeah, it was, it was a, a garden, garden hose. hose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a known fact that there are actually no poisonous things in, in Australia. There are no poisonous insects. There are no snakes. There are no poisonous mm. animals or plants. They're just are you sure? Because stories. I... stories made up by Australian people to keep everybody out of their country so they have a nice, comfortable, luxurious paradise of a country that nobody else comes to. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know. I, I read a book and uh, it, it seemed like the, uh, you the shouldn't nice... believe everything that you read. <laughs> I, I thought they said that about the internet. Like you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet, but surely yeah. books, like books need to be, you know, well-researched and stuff before they're published. Running books do. Running books mm. do. Yes. Okay. That's definitely okay. true for running books. But the rest of the books, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I guess I should say disclaimer, please fact check everything that we say before getting on a plane to Australia and and touching everything that you that you see when you arrive. Yeah. And I don't know, just to be on the safe side, if you see a really cute blue octopus, don't touch it. You're obsessed about poisonous. these octopuses. Yes, I read about them in a book. Yeah, I read about them in the book. Um, uh, There's a book that actually, it was my mother-in-law that lent it to me. Uh, It's called something like The Sunburnt Country. And it's, um, so I think- That's what the Australians call Australia. (laughs) Yeah, I started reading this book. And I'm telling you, like the first chapter, there were like five things that'll kill you in there. And one of the first ones was these little blue octopus uh, because apparently what happens is that travelers will think, oh, they're so cute and they'll touch them, but they're they're very, very poisonous. And actually the poison will like go through your skin and you'll be like pretty much you won't even have time to like go to the hospital and you'll die because I think it paralyzes you. Yeah, I wondered what all those dead bodies were that I was walking <laughs> by in the airport. You're you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> That you, you walk mm. around in that Canada country with all those bears, mm. there's grizzly bears, 
in the same country as that you're you're living in. I mean, how come you're still alive? I guess that's true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, I'm never coming back to Canada. I mean, oh no, buy a bear. No, but you have to come back. Oh, you have yeah, a dog. Ah, well, uh, that's true. I got to come back for Killian. Yeah, and and we've got some training to do. Yeah, exactly. But that's much later. That's much later on. At the moment, I'm doing great. I'm I'm, I'm avoiding the the ice and snow. Although there's no snow. Uh, I mean, this morning it didn't look like there was any snow. Well, there is still some on the grass, but like a lot of it melted because Friday there was a lot of rain, okay. uh, which is yesterday. But I know your Friday was like two days ago. So yeah, it's Sunday here now, I think. Yeah, and it's That's Saturday Sunday. over here. But yeah, so uh, it rained a lot, and so it melted a lot of the snow. And the temperatures kind of warmed up, but they didn't warm up like a whole ton. So, so I guess that kind of helped melt. Like the streets, except for the portions where there's a little bit of runoff from the from the grass, is you know there might be a slippery bit, but no, mostly it's clear, no snow. It it kind of all almost disappeared. I'm disappointed. It needs to be cold and miserable there while I'm not there. <laughs> Don't worry, it will be. Since you're gonna, since you're gonna stay in Australia for like eight weeks, um, yeah, well, I'm well, sure uh, December and January will be plenty miserable, and then you can gloat from over there. Well, it's been nice. It's been nice here so far. I mean, it's been there've been some showers, but it's been warm, and uh, it hasn't showered on me while I've been out. I've been out running uh, every day, but just nice and gentle, taking it easy. Uh, so far, so good. Haven't found a gym yet. We went to the gym, but it was closed. I think it was just we came at the wrong time. We have found a really nice swimming pool, though, so I think we're going to do swimming. That's like an outdoor uh, Olympic-sized oh, pool just nice. around the corner that's that's you can get a really cheap membership for, so we're going to do that, I think. That sounds fantastic. And I booked in for my half marathon in Shoal Bay in December. Mm-hmm. Did you find a running club to, uh, to um, run with? Uh, yeah, I had dinner with my friends uh last night and they're going to introduce me to the guy from i could have gone this morning but i had podcast duties with you oops um, sorry to the, to the local the local runners who go out early in the morning on sundays and i think in the evening on wednesdays so i'm going to try and join in with them see what's what um and it's very hilly around here just around the corner from where we're staying from this impressive hill um, that's on a quiet like back street so I'm maybe going to do a hill session yeah I have no pity on you being all by yourself so, since you so are in warm what about with you anything happening any nice any interesting stories I went for a run with Margarita on Thursday and uh, we were the only two but it, it's it's kind of nice because you know usually I guess I've been I've been running with people that I don't normally run with. And it's been kind of fun because, you know, we were like training for so long for the marathon and we were following our own plan. So we yeah. were kind of going with the club sometimes, but Mostly but not really. Ourselves, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I ran with uh, ran with Margarita and it was fun because we had a lot to chat about. I'll bet. I'll bet that was a noisy run. It was, it was, but luckily it was just the two of us. So, you know, and uh, since we were running, then the people that we crossed on the sidewalk, like they wouldn't hear us for very long. Cause then eventually we would be like gone because we were running. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I've been for, for our listeners, I've been doing my strength training, my resilience training with your partner, Andre. 
but now that I'm not there, he seems to be going to the gym every day almost, and he's going to be like some sort of uh, Hulk. He's... He's going to be the Hulk by the time I I get back, and I won't be able to train with him because I won't be able to do the exercises that he's doing. Oh, is that why you were looking for a CrossFit gym in Australia? Yeah, so I could try and keep up. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds good. Maybe we should do an intro. Yep. Hi, and welcome to the Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review books written for runners, about runners, and by runners to help you decide if you'd like to read the book for yourself. We also hope that listening to us chat about running can help keep you motivated about your own running or maybe inspire you to try something new. We've had a lot of great episodes in 2022, and we're looking forward to 2023 and see what it has in store. But before we get there, uh, we can't really believe it, but we've actually already read another 10 books. So here we are, and it's time to reflect on what we got out of those 10 books before we move on to 2023. That would make it 60 books that we've read. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and, and it's amazing to think that, uh, like, initially when we started the podcast, we thought that maybe we would run out of content. And we were obviously wrong. Yeah, the reverse is true. I think the more yeah. books you read, the more books you find and the more books that are getting written. So we're reading, we've read 60 books and we've probably got more to read now than we've had to read when we started. I know. But that's cool. And of course fun. it is. It is fun. Do we the go first... through the books and uh, just do a little um, couple of lines on each book and what we've learned? So people who want to go through the summary or just listen to us chat about what we thought, they can get an insight into the book or a nugget of wisdom or information from us. Or maybe just a reminder, because maybe they read the book too, and we're just reminding them of well, that's a good point. something that might They'll be go, in it. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I've got that book. I better go and have a look at it, which is also a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess the first one on our list was uh, Breakthrough Women's Running by Neely Spence Gracie and Cindy Kuzma. Yep. Doesn't seem that long ago that we read that book. That was ten books ago. I know. Ago. Yeah, it was ten books ago, but it doesn't seem that long ago to me either. I I feel like we just read it because it's kind of fresh. Maybe it feels so fresh because we we've been using it. So like we've been using the um the dumbbell routine from that book. Yeah, that was for... the first thing that I that I wrote down about the book. I'm still using the dumbbell routine. Um, yeah. The good thing about the exercises. You know, you, you look at it at the book and go, oh, it's got some exercises in. Oh, you know, there are exercises everywhere. Is that really interesting? But the cool thing was that I think Neely's exercises were um, focused and they were like in groups of five types, five different exercises. So with dumbbells, so there was like five exercises and they're very easy to memorize. Like mm -hmm. with, with bands, there were like five exercises and they were easy to memorize. So you can carry it in your head really easy. And um, we were doing the dumbbell exercises at the gym. Probably the thing that you're going to say about the exercises that's really good about them is nearly gives you permission to do as many or as few as you want. Yeah, because you can do one set, two sets, or three sets because she just says one to three sets. And so it really um, removes the barrier from, um, you that's know, really getting it done. It's really interesting because I would read the book and it would say, 
you know, you must do three sets. And I'll go, no, I just feel like doing one <laughs> and just do one and, and, and kind of not feel bad about it. But you would feel bad about it, wouldn't you? Because the book yeah. says you have to do three. Yeah, so, so I you feel love like I'm it cheating. that the book gives you permission to do one or two. <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> I would I'll just go, well, so what? I'm just gonna do one. <laughs> and you would go, Oh, I can't. The book said I have to do three. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, Oh, now I don't have enough time. I don't have time for three sets. Like, what do I do? Yeah, I'll just take I'll a to, different plan. <laughs> I have to get another book. <laughs> <laughs> It shows, yeah. shows how different we are in some ways. <laughs> I know. Um, so actually, the other thing I wrote down, because I was going through my notes, and I remembered that when I read this, like, I really, really liked this philosophy. And um, one of the things that they said about training is do more of what you're good at and work weaknesses occasionally. Because you know how, like, you know, as runners, we want to improve and we figure, well, if we're not good at something, we should just like hammer it out on this thing we're not good at. But sometimes the thing you're not good at is also the thing you don't really enjoy. And so that'll kind of suck the fun out of like your running in general, if you're just working on your weaknesses all the time. And also because, you know, working on your strengths, like you just you feel good about your workout because you're like, I nailed it. Mm. But you know, that's your strength. So you kind of like go into the workout already positive, then you leave the workout feeling positive, and just everything feels positive. So, um, so I love that they gave us the permission to, uh, to just work on the things that we are good at. And then we can just work on the weaknesses sometimes. Yeah, that's super cool. What what I've noticed with the ex some of the exercises, though, is that when I do the things I'm not very good at, I give myself permission to not be good at it, rather than go I don't like this because I'm not good at it I go Mm -hmm. oh I'll do this but I know that I'm not good and it'll be useless you know the 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 thing where you've got to hold a weight and balance on one leg and do a like a little deadlift I fall over all the time because I'm I'm not very stable but I just go well that's okay I'll fall over and then actually I find I've been getting better because Mm -hmm. of course you're not good at it because either you haven't developed a good technique or your muscles aren't developed in that way. And then by doing lots of things that you're good at and some of those things and giving yourself permission to not be good, you actually get better. So mm-hmm. that's cool too. Um, what, one of the things that I remember about the book that's away from the exercises was um, there's a there's a whole um, section on running while pregnant. And it's kind of a practical experience guide from Neely because she had two babies while she was, I guess, writing this or or compiling yeah. this information. And she had two extremely different pregnancies with two extremely different experiences. And they were like personal experiences. So she was able to speak from uh, being an elite runner and also having two different pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a perfect book if you're thinking about, you know, what do I do for that? that situation yeah and there's lots of other good stuff of course yeah but you can get that from our previous episode that was just completely about this book with neely and cindy so it's fantastic so i guess we can uh, move on to the next book which was uh running the orient by gavin boiter what struck you about this book yeah, I guess um I mean the uh the whole book was about spending several months uh living out of a van and just running and I just like have this, you know, it's it just sounds like such a great idea, but of course, you know, van life is not just 
being free and running every day, uh, there's a lot that went into it. So I guess that's um, that was kind of uh, kind of good to to read about because there's also you know you don't have running water once there's no more in your tank. So you need to make sure your tank is full. And doing your laundry yeah. is often not uh, not so easy because you have to wash by hand and um, storing mm-hmm. things and just like doing your groceries and not having like a big fridge to put everything in. So it requires a lot more planning for just, uh, you know, daily activities. And, and if um, your van breaks down, it's your only means to get anywhere. Especially which happens. if it's an old van that you've converted because you haven't got very much money. Mm-hmm. And if uh, 12 packs of wild dogs attack you during the day when you're trying to run across Romania, or was it Bulgaria? Definitely makes it more difficult. Yeah. Romania, I think it was Romania that had a lot of dogs. Probably we should just mention that, that the title Running the Orient comes from the fact that Gavin ran the route of the Orient Express. I mean, he didn't run on the train lines, but he ran roughly the route of the Orient Express, which goes from... Goes through, Paris. was it seven countries? Yeah, goes from Paris, yeah. I think, and, and goes eventually to Istanbul and goes basically through the whole of Europe. Um, one of the things that struck me is that, um, you know, if I go anywhere and I'm here in Australia at the moment and when I'm going or getting in the car, I just go, okay, Google. And it just sends me where I need to go and tells me where I'm going wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I suddenly realized that... Uh, Google is not going to help you if you're navigating across Bulgaria. Because, no. because the little Google Street View cars haven't been down the little tracks in the, <laughs> in the outskirts of Bulgaria. And uh, Gavin ended up running on roads that gradually deteriorated into nothing and hadn't, mm-hmm. you know, had like trees growing out of the middle of them because they'd never been used for for 50 years or something and google's done a satellite uh, scan or something and decided that they're roads i was also like surprised how many times he would um just decide like he's tired of being on the road like running on the road because it was yeah. flat and boring or whatever and he would just be like i'm just gonna hop in and go through this trail and uh and like a lot of those times didn't turn out very well but he kept doing it over and over and over it's like part of me is like i don't know he's either adventurous or he's a sucker for punishment i don't know which one it was yeah he has the he has the adventure spirit i think Mm -hmm. Um, i think if i was doing that i would have stuck to the roads yeah it's it's funny you should mention that because I was out with my wife, Melanie, yesterday, and we were having a little jog. I was doing like a warm-up jog with Mel. And um, we were going around the streets, and then there was a trail going off into to the bush. And I said, oh, let's go in there. <laughs> and she said, because <laughs> she was with me, she said, oh, okay. And so we got in and said, oh, I wonder where that goes. Let's let's follow it around. It'll probably come out on a street, uh, you know, a few kilometers down. So we ended up on a trail run, and I thought, oh, that's quite similar to Gavin. It's a small <laughs> scale, but it's it's the mentality, yeah, yeah. And I could yeah. imagine running with your uh, with your fiance uh, Andre. He's exactly mm-hmm. like that. He if is. You run with him, and you go, oh look, there's a little trail going off to the side. I wonder where that goes. You go, oh yeah, let's go, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> um, I think Gavin Gavin was like that on a sort of mega scale. Yeah. Um, 
he would go, oh, I'm running along a road. And look, there's a mountain just off on my left-hand side. Oh, look, there's a trail that goes off. Maybe it goes into that mountain. That would be cool. And he, off he goes. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess you, you yeah. guys have the same thought pattern as, as he does. Yeah, kind of crazy adventure and fun to read and, and fun to talk to Gavin as well. Mm-hmm. Should we move on? We'll never get through all 10 yeah. books if we don't. Yes, we got it a little bit here. Okay, we'll pick the pace up. So the next one was Running Throughout Time by Roger Robinson. Yeah. Um, Another great storybook, a little different. So this one was uh, just all the stories that have maybe not been told correctly uh, or that they weren't told at all. So um, I guess the biggest thing that struck me just like, you know, the first thing I think of when I think of this book is um, just how many different versions of the story of Philippides had. I mean, because, you know, we all hear that the origin of the marathon, it's this guy named Philippides that ran to bring a message to that they conquered the... He, so anyway, but anyway, he ran a really long distance, which is the distance of the marathon. And then he died it's a marathon or something. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's actually, well, like that story that we all tell ourselves is actually maybe not true. It might've been an exaggeration. So it might be true, but maybe an exaggeration or uh, there are parts of it that might not have been true. Like even his name might not have been his name. Um, so it was really yeah, interesting. Mo- like... tells us that, <laughs> according to the research, the the fact that he kind of said "We are victorious" and dropped down dead was just added for uh, dramatic effect, like a hundred years after this, after the actual battle. So he actually did the research and put together the what we know for a fact versus what we see reported at different in different places at different times, and he does this uh... for a whole series of different stories. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, I mean, you know, how many versions could there be? But it's not like now where, like, they're, you know, people don't don't have things filmed, whereas now it's like, you know, you have an accident in the street in front of a house. I mean, there's chances are that, that there's a doorbell camera that caught that accident, and so you can actually, like, see what happened. But none of that, even just record-keeping, like record keeping has come a long way. Like people didn't really keep records. Um, a lot of a lot of information was passed down by word of mouth, you know. And uh, like it's it's so interesting how yeah, or, or they were reported with um, cultural bias of the time. Um, we saw that for the women's eight hundred meters in the nineteen twenties when it was first run, mm-hmm. and they reported that what was it. That they that a lot of the women Almost collapsed. All of them collapsed exhausted. at the finish line. Yeah. yeah, but but it was like exaggerated because you know the men collapsed too, but it was okay because they don't have a uterus, so their uterus can't fall out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the, that reporting um, at the time created such bad publicity uh, around female running that the women's endurance runs didn't get into the Olympics again for a long, long time. Yeah, until 1960, I think, isn't it? That's it's when the 800 sort of came back. Era, almost, yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's really not long ago. Yeah, I think the cool thing, like this was the second book that we've had Roger talk to us about. 
I think the cool thing is that you go, oh, sort of ancient history and researching the dusty libraries and getting out the facts. It sounds terribly dry. And you go, oh, I'm not sure I'm up for that because it sounds a bit boring. When in fact, it's the exact reverse with Roger because he loves storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think, oh, if he's if he's a historian and a, and a journalist, he's going to say, well, this is not true and be sort of holier than thou. And he's, he's the exact reverse. He says, oh, we find that this is not true. But actually, the sto- it makes a great story. So it's really good. So I need to tell you all about <laughs> it as well, because, you know, he makes it into a, a story. So he's out, mm-hmm. he's out researching uh, the early English runners um in the old universities and he's in the library researching but then he goes out and tries to find the areas that they've run in and do the running and see what it feels like and then report that you know very cool so roger robinson's books if they look like historical type books they actually are full of great stories yeah they they are historical books but but they're really great storybooks as well definitely uh definitely add to to the running book realm because they're kind of unique like um you do have some books that are you know about one particular character like we had the uh the book about Emil Zatopek but um you know he Roger Robinson just researched a whole bunch of stories and I can't even imagine like how much time was spent in those uh libraries looking at, you know, microfiche and stuff. <laughs> so on we go to the next one, Chase which that was smile. Chase That Smile, yep, by Harold Cabrera. Should probably just summarize what it was about. Um, it was kind of him on his 40th birthday going for endurance challenges and set himself a target of doing three things in particular, uh, run a marathon, climb Kilimanjaro, and um, do an Ironman. And so he talked about how he went about doing that which um which is pretty impressive because uh you know one of those things is usually a goal but he decided to make all three of them a goal the one thing that struck me other than his his willingness to say yes to every experience is um that if you make something a goal then you'll find a way to achieve it it's not like you know he didn't have a family and didn't have a job like he had a he had a full-time job that was flexible, but you know, you still have to put in the hours. And he had a, a family with young kids. So yeah. that's not that's not so. always easy to find training time. And the training for these events was just massive. The other thing was he kind of loves to party as well. Doesn't yes. seem to be able to resist like <laughs> going for a beer afterwards or uh, no staying you know, up going out late. with his friends, staying out late. So you can add that to his challenges, really. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things he does is he uh, doesn't sweat the small stuff, basically. Uh, like, like you know, one missed training run, one uh, slow interval or one tough workout. Like, they're not going to make or break the, the goal. And um, he really puts that into practice. I mean, I think we all know that. But, you know, we can, you know, can kind of get to us and yeah, get to our confidence when we yeah, can. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that struck me hard about uh, Harold when we talked with Harold, or Howie, as his friends call him, 
was just his huge positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the thing that's that stayed with me uh, in particular was his mantra: uh, "Life is good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you." Yeah. What he said was because one thank you is not enough because life is so good that he had to say thank you three times. But very nice. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hugely positive and, and, and very motivating in terms of, uh, you know, a book to read. You might not want to go and climb Kilimanjaro, but just reading about him and how he goes about his, his stuff. The other ambition that he had for his 40th birthday was to write a book. And of course, we were reviewing the book that he wrote. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, uh, you know, on the same theme of motivation, the next book was pretty motivating too. Uh, Depression Hates a Moving Target by Nita Sweeney. Nita started running, but she started running kind of in the depths of depression. Like she had, uh, uh, you know, she had finished university, she had a job. Uh, but at the time when she decided to start running, she was not working, like she could barely get out of bed every day. Um, and uh, she had a dog. And so she decided to start running with her dog. And it was the story of her going out for these runs. The first one was like with a kitchen timer. And she would go yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't a super athlete by any by any means. She was, you know, an average sort of lady with very, very significant challenges in terms of anxiety and depressive illness. And I think she says in the book that running with a dog kind of saved her life. And I thought, oh, maybe that's a bit of hype. But then when you read the book, it probably did. Mm-hmm. Um, the book kind of opens with the sort of phrase... I'll have to paraphrase because I haven't got the book in front of me, but she says something like, my mind was trying to kill me again. So it was quite extreme to begin with. And she she gradually got on top of things. And then she's talking to us in a podcast Mm -hmm. um, by the end, um, talking about just one step at a time, one step at a time. Yeah, I thought this, you know, this was inspiring and probably very relatable to, you know, just, anybody because you know she didn't become an olympian or anything but she you know she did she did achieve some big goals she ended up running a marathon and by now she's runs many marathons and many half marathons and even ultra marathons but um but you know like she started with uh with running with a little kitchen timer to do like interval run walk and uh, you know, went sort of down the street from her house. And, you know, she describes it when when she's running with her dog and her dog like doesn't even have to change his pace. So her run was like pretty much like the same speed as her as her walk. No. Yeah. yeah. And but <clears throat> but she did it, you know, she, you know, then she'd go out a few times a week. And before you know it, she was uh, looking online for for um groups to get advice from and she found the the you know the penguins i think they were called online um and sort of back of the packers basically yeah Yeah. and she um it's really great because it's almost like you know she completely was isolated i mean she had her husband but she was you know she barely got out of bed every day and then all of a sudden, because of running, she started to integrate into like a community, even though it was an online community. But, you, you know, that was what she felt was uh, 
was accessible. She didn't feel intimidated yeah. by that uh, because they were all beginners. Like, um, and, and the then positive, she the positive aspects of social media. Then exactly, and uh, and you know they encouraged her and they encouraged each other. And later, she ended up joining a real group. So it it just uh, yeah, her progress was uh, was impressive. I thought it was incredibly brave that she would just even write the book. Um, although she's a writer, she used writing as part of her sort of therapy as well. Um, mm -hmm. But in particular, brave to write this book because she had to talk about herself and her situation um, and, and open up on her difficulties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for somebody who, and most people are probably thinking, well, I, I don't have that problem, so why would I read about it? it's extremely motivating and it gives you a, a different level of understanding about what some people have to go through. You know, if you don't identify with, with uh, depressive illness, if you read Nita talking about her efforts to try to run and have to cross a bridge and get to the, to the bridge. And mm -hmm. it was symbolic in a way because it was a bridge, but she describes her thoughts of what goes through her head about, how am I going to run across a bridge? It's going to fall down or I'm going to have trouble. Um, yeah. She had all kinds know, of what goes through her mind. Suddenly you go, yeah. wow. Some people, you just don't understand the struggles they're going through sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that shows next... the power of running and it shows the power of having a dog. <laughs> Both good things. So you don't have a dog, Liz, so I'm going to lend mm -hmm. you a dog. Thanks. <laughs> You're the best. What are teammates for, right? <laughs> moving on. Uh, oh, moving I, on. I guess I should probably mention that having said I'm going to lend you a dog, you're going to look after our dog for a, <laughs> for a little while over Christmas. So thanks for that. Yeah, Public it'll be fun. Thanks. <laughs> I guess on. those need more than, than the private thanks or, yeah, huh? okay. The no, public they're... thanks, they 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 mean well, more than the than the uh, private ones. <laughs> no, they're just the same. Oh, okay. Okay. Next one was on pace by Matt Fitzgerald. A whole entire book about pacing. Um, and before you say like there is no way I can read a whole book about pacing, yes, you can. Um, because there are a lot more aspects to it than than you think. And I guess we didn't cover many training books in this cycle. In this, um, you know, we've been talking and we haven't we haven't come across, you know, run a marathon training book or um, mm -hmm. like Jack Daniels or um, Hanson's program or advanced marathoning. Yeah. We haven't really got one of those other than probably this is the nearest thing. Yeah. Um, the, there are some training plans in it at the end. There are. But... Yeah, um, be, yeah, I feel like you almost have to read the book to convince yourself to do the training plans because they're by uh, perceived effort, which, you know, most of us like to run by pace, you know, instead of running, uh, yeah, you, I need to want, run tempo pace. You want to know that my clock is telling me that I'm running at five minute pace or six minute pace or exactly. seven minute yeah. pace. This program says you should be running at relative effort three or relative mm -hmm. effort four. So you have to learn what that means and how to teach yourself to understand what that means. But um, the book actually is really good at explaining why it's important um, 
There's one quote that uh, that I had written down when I was reading, and I'll read it to you. The true limiter of endurance performance is a feeling. So it's like, that's what pacing is. It's just like, because for sure the race is going to hurt at some point, but I guess like you need to come as close as you can to a level of hurt that you can tolerate until the end of your race. That's what the book kind of aims to, I guess, teach you. And, um, you know, Matt just, he breaks it all down and the science. And he also uh, tells us that most of us are pretty bad at pacing because he compares us to um, some of the, the elite runners that are just like magnificent pacers. You know, you can tell them, you can tell them like, oh, I, I want to run a, f- a four minute per kilometer and they can just go out no GPS, four minutes and, per And kilometer. some of them are naturals, but most of them are good at it because they've practiced it a lot. So Matt talks about how to practice it and how to um, improve your, your skill from that point of view. And if you're not motivated to improve your pacing skill, um, he encourages you by telling you that basically there's free performance. Because if you're good at pacing, um, you get more performance out of the same amount of effort. Mm-hmm. And you, you get the, the maximum performance out of yourself on that day. Because for sure, sometimes, you know, you don't get, even if you register for like the Toronto Marathon, which is like supposed to be flat mostly. Um, well, sometimes during the marathon, you discover that those hills are a lot hillier than you remember them being. Yeah, I think I described it as somebody sneaked in in the middle of the night and (laughs) built some hills into the... um, Because when you're tired, the hills get bigger. Mm -hmm. They definitely do. So I guess on the... um, In the same vein as uh, Endurance Performance by Pacing, um, we have the next book. Endurance by Alex Hutchinson. Yeah, which is all about endurance. Um, and he goes into a lot of science about endurance. But I guess the the, the thing that stood out to me um, that I had written down in my notes was um, that the study of endurance started at Harvard University in the business department because they thought that by studying the athletes, they could find ways to get workers to do more work. Get more work out um, of workers, yeah. Yeah, so that's um that that's pretty interesting. Like I had no idea. And I mean, I guess okay, uh the motivation was maybe, you know, not the best motivation, but hey, it got scientists to start studying endurance and we benefit from that. So Yeah, from my point of view, I think it was it was good to get the background science and the background stories about, you know, where did the idea of VO2 max come from? Mm-hmm. And you know, where does you know, how did they find out what lactate threshold was and things that you hear bandied around once you get into running. You go, okay, what is that exactly? And uh, how did they come up with that as an idea? And you know, why is it important? So those kind of things, is it's, it's pretty good. Well, it's probably the best background you could possibly get in terms of historical um, scientific research. Um, It is. And he follows that up by also telling us that the physiological measurements don't always predict the winner, which just puts a whole other spin on it. 
That's, that was a, that was a big take home message for me from the, from this book, which was the the sort of brain effects, and the science suggests that your brain, when it gets a lack of sugar, switches off your legs before your legs have used up all their muscular ability to um, to generate. So it becomes an exercise of willpower to some extent. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a limit to where you can go with that. But if you accept that, then there's an aspect which is when you finish and you go, okay, I couldn't have done any more. Probably you could. Um, it's just that your own brain has has tricked you. And, mm -hmm. in and in fact, this was a big factor for me towards the end of the three-hour marathon um, attempt at, uh, at Toronto, where uh, I, was, I was switching to mantras at the end to try to psych myself to keep going because I was fading. And one of the things I was focusing on was um, Alex Hutchinson's endurance book. And one of my mantras was, your brain is tricking you. Ignore, <laughs> ignore, ignore. That was, that, was, that was kind of one of my mantras. Uh, your brain is tricking you. Ignore it. Ignore it. Um, the the energy is there. You just can't feel it. And your brain is fooling you, which is quite a hard. It's quite a hard. I find it to be quite a hard message. It sort of implies that you, you can't, that you're feel weak. that you're there. You're mentally not strong enough. <laughs> yeah. What's your problem? You're like, that yeah. can't be. You got no willpower. But, it, that, you know, knowing that, uh, it helps you to, you to force yourself along a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, I think knowing that is is good because sometimes you can just squeeze out that little bit more um, like you did. And uh, just, you know, make sure that you get that 11 seconds under your goal. So um, there you go. Maybe that maybe just reading that book enabled me to bring the mental effort at the end that would that won me the, those 11 seconds, mm -hmm. 11 seconds under the three hours. So the next, the next one book is that's going to get me the next. Uh... <laughs> next time you want more like two minutes so that you can kind of cruise in and, you know, yeah. Yeah. like wave at the spectators and, and, you know, have fun. And it's, it's super not fun having uh, only 11 seconds to spare. It's very not fun. <laughs> I was panicking a lot on, over the last few kilometers. Um, so um, speaking of fast running, should we get on to the next one? Catch Me If You Can by Philbert Bailly. So um, this one is about Philbert Bailly's life. Uh, he was a great runner in the 70s and, and a little bit beyond too. But um, he was also a great human being and he did a lot of good things in his home country of Tanzania, even after he hung up his running shoes. So um, yeah, I guess it, for me, it was a privilege to talk with Philbert Bailly because you know, he's, when I was a kid watching for the first time, sort of 1500 meter running. Um, the first real memories I have is Philbert Bailly running against John Walker. They were like the big, big rivals of the time for 1500 meters. So it was like, I was talking to one of my childhood heroes to some extent. Yeah. So that was, that was a lot of fun, but, but Philbert, basically redefined the 1500 meters in the 1970s because everybody was running in a format which was sort of sit and kick so you sit for three laps and then the fastest 
sprinter on the last lap wins. And yeah. He came along and he said, oh, I'm not doing that. Uh, I get jostled too much if I do that. So and that's not my force. So I'm going to run hard from the front. And I think people to begin with thought, who is this young kid? Uh, he's got no uh, running craft. But then they realized that actually he has a fantastic motor and he can go out quick and just keep going. Mm-hmm. And even if they catch him up, he can kick on, um, which shocked everybody as well. So yeah. he started just running fast from the beginning, which meant everybody had to learn to to, to do that a little bit and go with him. So mm-hmm. everybody's times then he's sort of taken everyone else to a new level of performance because everybody had to chase him. So he became like, they didn't have paces at the time, but he came, became a de facto pacer for world record attempts all the time. And then one, in one race, he, uh, he actually brought like several other runners to world records. They had all broken world records. I think the top, uh, what was it? The top, top five or something had broken the world record, but obviously there's only yeah. one new record. So yeah, there were two famous races, the Commonwealth Games of 1974 and the Dream Mile um, in held in Jamaica in 1975, where um, Philbert Bailly broke the 1500 meters record at the Commonwealth Games, the world record. And I think the two people behind him also broke the old world record. Um, so it was fastest 1500 meters ever, ever at, at that time. And then he went on next the next year and, and did the sort of same thing with the mile. Which is super impressive. Um, I think the thing that that struck me the most was um, that it was, you know, Philbert ran, but it was the army that saw his potential as a runner and that kind of gave him the opportunity because he was, uh, you know, allowed to train in the army. They gave him his first pair of spikes. Uh, I guess they, you know, they let him compete and had to, those things not aligned. I mean, maybe he would never have been a runner at all. And he's like one of the legends. And I guess it just goes to show you that uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's about the potential other people seeing you, uh, not necessarily the potential you see in yourself that ends up making you um, do great things. I guess on all the, and all these stories about people, there are crossroads. And in fact, in all our stories, if we think about it, there are crossroads. You can reflect on your life and say, you know, if for some strange reason I'd gone left, I went straight ahead and if I'd gone left or right, I'd be in an entirely different place in my life now. Um, mm-hmm. and you see that very clearly with the army and, and Philbert. The, the other thing was he should be the gold medal winner in the 1976 Montreal Olympics. He was at the height of his powers. He'd probably broken the world record in, in that 1500 meters race, but he didn't run because 26 countries in Africa uh, boycotted because of the apartheid uh, situation in South Africa. So that was kind of sad, but he was pretty uh, philosophical about that. Um, mm-hmm. He said that, you know, sometimes, you know, situate political situation for your country is more important. There are some things that are more important than individual glory. We kind of shrugged that off a little bit. And yeah, it was fantastic to also hear his story after running in terms of developing schools in, in Tanzania that didn't exist at the time um, that stopped uh, people having to send their kids to Kenya to get educated in, away from their families. That was yeah, that's neat. amazing. And those schools are um, doing really well. And 
and uh, he's he's still he's still um, working. Yeah, he's he's, fantastic. he's really he's... busy doing administrative work for uh, sports boards and various. Mm -hmm. Good story. Uh, and still story. trying to do more things like, you know, he set up a fund for kids to uh, be able to pursue uh, athletics in the U.S. on scholarship, and yeah. and now he wants to you know build a a modern track which uh would be another source yeah. of opportunity for uh yeah. for athletes in in Tanzania so yeah he's, he just he just keeps on going and as he said if you go and buy his book you're contributing some money to to those things that's right so um next book uh running with the Kenyans by Adaranand Finn so this was the Adaranand's first book we reviewed his third book. So we just have yeah. one that was in the middle that we need to read. Oh, we'll do that in the next cycle, maybe. <laughs> Mind you, the next cycle is probably full already. We've got, uh, I think so. We've got, got quite a few in the pipeline. Um, um, so I guess uh, I guess the one thing, you know, the title of the book, on the book title, it says Running with the Kenyans, and then something about uh, a quest to figure out what all their secrets, the secrets are. of the fastest people on Earth. Exactly. And then you're reading the book, and um, I remember going on Goodreads, which which is an app where you can go and see people's uh, book reviews before you yeah. read the book, and people yeah. can like recommend books and stuff. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, so I was on Goodreads, and I, I remember reading a comment being like, "Yeah, he never told us what all the secrets were," and it's true that he didn't like he didn't put it into like a list at the end, where as you know well, where that's what you we should do this let's we'll list out all the <laughs> secrets for everybody and then they can decide for themselves yeah but so there are, there so were what, some what did you discover what are all the secrets of, of Kenya running yeah you didn't list them out and there's no one hard secret but yeah they're they're actually they're actually all things that we kind of know already but they actually put them into practice so things like um uh, just like lifestyle so first of all, I guess it's their upbringing. I mean, they're they're brought up just uh, very active children. Yeah, they have doing, early. They have running you know, yes, at they, an early age of their development. They have running. Yeah, that and but they use it as transportation. So it's not like stress, like uh, like if you were focusing on a sport, because we know that that's not good for children, like early specialization. But this yeah. is not specialization. It's just because that's their life and they have to run to get places faster because they have no other way to get there and walking is really long. So they end yeah, the up running to school. For school. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're building um, without, without the race stress or the sports performance stress, they're building a huge, the kids are building a huge aerobic base from, mm -hmm. from an early from an early age. Yeah. And you, um, I mean, they're in Iten, which is where Adaranad was, they, they're at altitude. So I guess, you know, they're altitude adapted. Um, but I don't know if, you know, like, you could probably find stories of uh, great runners from countries that are not at altitude. But that is one of the one of the things that, um, that, you know, contributes to to success yeah and because uh, and because the, the there's a lot of kids doing this running as well mm -hmm. from an early age they have a big pool of talent, competition so they have a yeah. big pool of talent to draw upon mm -hmm. you know, it's like well 
Canadians produce some good ice hockey players. Why? Because all the kids play ice hockey. Um, yeah. They have this Because we have the facilities. Pool. We funnel yeah. them through the system. They have this huge and... talent pool. Kenya yeah. don't have so many good ice hockey players. But they have lots and lots of runners. And they have this massive pool from which to draw on the best of the best of the best. Yeah, I think also part of it is that uh, it, it's very much um, like a, a noble pursuit to yeah. want to be an athlete. So like uh, Kenyan parents will support their kids, kind of like you support your kids here in North America if they're going to, you know, go to school. If they say, um, oh, I want to be a lawyer, you go, oh, that's good. And uh, yeah, you know, let me help you with your school fees or whatever. Yeah, so the Kenyan parents do but the same thing, where but with running. So if their uh, if their son or daughter wants to be a runner, they're gonna try and help them if they can, uh, like paying rent, uh, in in Iten and the some of the stories that um like the story of Beatrice. I think that was the that was the case. It was she was in Iten to train, but she didn't like her family didn't live there. So her parents were her mom, I think, was um, was paying part of her rent so that she could stay yeah. there. Yeah. And, and running is a legitimate, a legitimate route out of uh, what could be a fairly poor lifestyle into a comfortable situation financially for someone in Kenya. Mm hmm. Oh, the other thing um, is running camps. They have running yes. camps there. So they yeah. go, they'll go into camps and they're, they're quite devoted. So it's mm -hmm. not, well, you know, I do my normal stuff and then I do a bit of running on the side. Um, when they get serious, they go into, you know, camps where everybody's running and running is the only focus and uh, everything centers around running. Yeah. And, and then like in between, well, you're trying to recover. So, you know you're you're not uh you're not just kind of squeezing your run in between all your other chores what you're doing is you're yeah. running and then your chore is to recover from that run because you're gonna have another one in a few hours uh and you know when you look at some of the youtube documentaries of uh, Eliud kipshogi who's like broken the world record in the marathon numerous times i mean he's got a wife and kids and he has a home and they have land to take care of and um, and, but he, when he's training for a marathon, like when he's off, yes, he goes home when he's training for a marathon, he's still, he stays at the camp and yeah. he focuses and like, you know, we say, you know, there's probably genetics, but, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe he's got some good genetics. I'm not discounting that, but I, I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot to be said for all of these other things that they're doing. I don't think it's just their genetics. It's just probably that you know, that they're, they're all pooled in this one area of the world, but it's because the, the circumstances are right. I suspect there are probably more people with great genetics in the Western world who maybe never get to be runners because they probably never tried from mm -hmm. an early age and never had the development that we see countless yeah. Kenyans have. I think another fantastic trait that Adaranan talks about is how they all believe that their ne next breakthrough is just around the corner. Like yeah. they can have the crummiest workout where they only do half of it before giving up and hopping on the bus. Um, but they still believe like they come out the next day and they're like, yeah, I think I think today is going to be the day. 
Yeah, they seem to have a, an unbreakable positivity. Uh, diet yeah. as well. They seem to have a, a pretty good runner's diet. Yeah, very high in carbohydrates. I yeah. think like 70, what is it, 75% carbohydrates because they eat uh, a lot of this ugali, like porridge made out of um, yeah. uh, a, a maize flour. And uh, it's very hard in car high in carbohydrates. Uh, and, and you know, we know from some of the other books that uh, that's the key to, to endurance um, nutrition is having enough carbohydrates because that's the fuel you're going to use if you're running fast. So we probably missed a few things, but there you go. We've covered in, uh, a lot of the secrets of the... Mm. Uh, of so we made a list. And, the list uh, that does not exist in Darren Ann's book. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other aspect of Darren, uh, Darren Ann's book... Um, Apart from you know the Kenyans and their their running skills, etc., um, was there was a whole other aspect to the book, which was him moving with his wife and small children into a country and culture that was completely foreign and different, and and how he was able to cope with that. Basically, mm -hmm. he had doubts whether he'd done the right thing by his family and whether he's being selfish and whether it was really working for him to improve and whether he was yeah. developing an understanding. And he, it, it, it all kind of worked out. Seemed to. And then he went yeah. off, I guess in his second book, he goes off to Japan to look at their running culture. So we'll have to see if he moves his whole, whole family again. Although his wife seems like the adventurous type. So she probably wouldn't mind that. Probably what we should say is, uh, if a Darren's listening, um, we're happy to cover your your second book because we love your books, The Way of the Runner with the Japanese. But you have to come on the podcast to talk to us about it, because when we were trying to contact him, he's busy making his own podcast with Elliot Kipchoge and organizing his weekends uh, running in Dartmoor. Um, so he wasn't able to come on our podcast. So, yeah. We'll but if you guys, Darnand, but you got to come on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, well, on a positive note, like if you're looking for more podcast episodes to listen to, I think he's gonna, well, he has an interesting one. Maybe we should link it in the show notes. His oh, interview the way of the with, runner, uh, his, his own. Uh... No, his interview with Elliot Kipchoge. Oh, he doesn't need so us long... to publicize his interview with Elliot Kipchoge. He yeah, but it's not. Our... We need the publicity. He doesn't need the publicity. <laughs> Yeah, but the the publicity the the publicity is not for him. It's just to make things easier for our listeners that they can, you know. Yeah, why not? Have something else to listen to. I don't know. I'll try and it's find it. It's all yeah. good stuff. All good stuff. I mean, you can never listen to too many podcasts, right? Talking about linking links, I noticed that um, uh, you linked the link to um, to uh, one of the races that I was talking about when we were discussing our. our um, final book, uh, How She Did It, mm -hmm. uh, by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Did you link the race that I was raving about um, during yeah. the discussion? Um, I thought I was doing a public service there. So that was excellent. Thank you for that. I, I actually clicked on it and looked at it again. <laughs> it's such a fantastic so, race. That's great. So if nobody else clicked well, on it, if no one else at uses least it, you it, benefited it's still worth from while that. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Which brings us to our last book, I guess. Yeah, um, how she did it. How she did Molly it. Huddle and Sarah Slattery. That was a lot of fun um, talking with those two ladies. 
It was, yeah. And um, it was great to hear what the criteria was for including athletes in their book. And one of the criteria was the longevity in the sport. I mean, some of these athletes, you know, had been running for like over two decades. I mean, competing at a high level for over two decades, which, uh, you know, in some professional sports, I mean, you know, you do have athletes that uh, yeah. that compete for a long time, like the tennis player. Was it Roger Federer? Is that yeah. his name? Yeah, yeah, I'm not really a tennis follower, but, you know, he's had a super long career. And that's the only reason why I know his name was because I think it's probably repetition because he's had a really long career. You know, the other thing is that they all had setbacks and they all trained through plateaus. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's just it it's just the perseverance. I think we mean we mere mortals sometimes look at superstars and go, oh, well, they've had it, you know, they, they were genetically gifted. And so they've had an easy ride to the top mm-hmm. right? because as one of the ladies pointed out to us, I can't remember whether it was Molly or Sarah. Um, what we see from the outside is we see the things that are most public and the things that are most public are their successes. So if they break a world record, or they come first in a major race, or they win an Olympic medal. Those are the things that come straight into your memory. And you have a tendency to just join those dots, when in fact, none of the athletes are are like that. In between times, they have injuries or Mm -hmm. self-doubt problems or... And also sometimes we just, you know, we don't see them for a while and we think like, oh, well, like maybe, I don't know, maybe they're... Uh, not doing any races, but usually it's just because we're not hearing about them because, yeah. you know, the they're not as publicized when they are doing a comeback from injury race and they come 10th, let's say, or maybe they do a smaller race or they do a yeah, track you only, race. You only hear they've been coming back from injury when they recover, win a race or win a medal and they get interviewed and said, oh, yeah, I've been struggling with injury over the last nine months. Mm hmm. Uh, course they don't win the race you never hear that because they never do the interview yeah i i guess we've i've i've kind of assumed that people know what how she did it is about because it was basically our last um podcast before this one but we should probably just mention um for people who didn't listen to that episode how dare you not listen to that episode (laughs) Click on it now. now you have to, to go it. back. Um, now you have to go back. It, and listen it's to about. It. It's basically about about the, the promoting the success stories around women women's running, you know, rather than hear about the terrible things that have happened with some women recently, the Mary Kane story and and, and etc. Um, to give examples where um, women runners have overcome uh, difficulties and and been successful, and and there are fifty interviews in the book. We found mm-hmm. out that they did about 80 interviews, but there are 50 yeah. interviews in the book with endurance running superstars of various walks, various descriptions, various distances and capabilities. And there's a section at the beginning about uh, advice on healthy running as a as a female runner from mm-hmm. from specific experts. Yeah, and it's um it's meant to help, like you know new runners that are that are maybe in high school or maybe just starting college and um you know in that developmental stage so um just to keep themselves healthy and so that they can have these long careers just like these these women in the book had 
then there is a, a like a few things at the end. There's like a, a section called the cooldown, and um, there's one story that's uh, that's a pretty good one. It's uh, Edna Kiplagat at the 2010 LA Marathon. So the LA Marathon has kind of like a sub race in the elite race where they let the women go off first and they calculate a delay for the men to go off and it's supposed to kind of equalize them. So they're by the end, they're racing each other to have an overall winner, either female or male. And so she actually, um, she ended up winning her, uh, like the the female race, but apparently before the race, her husband was also running and he was also like kind of vying for gold. And uh, so they had a bet between themselves before the race. Who would finish and the line, cross the line he would, first. Yeah, he would finish first. And if she wins, her husband had to pay for a vacation. And if he wins, then she had to pay for dinner, which I don't know if that was very fair, but whatever, they agreed. And uh, finally, she won, so he had to pay for a vacation. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah. nice story. There are some, and there are some great stories in there, and and great representations. For fear of repeating myself, I think uh, I said that my favorite story that I came across was um, the performance of Kim Connolly um, when she qualified for the uh, for the Olympics at the five thousand meters in two thousand and twelve uh, mm-hmm. at Eugene, Oregon, by coming simultaneously third in the race so she became a qualifier and she also during that race had to run the qualify the a the a standard qualifying time uh, despite the uh, commentators writing her off and writing it writing everybody off and saying it's it was too slow they wouldn't reach the time and never mentioning her in the race she came storming around towards the end and just nipped in and managed to nip into third place and uh, also qualify the A standard by about 0.2 of a second or something ridiculous. Uh, So she snatched victory from the jaws of defeat and uh, the little video that's linked in the notes um, is well worth a look. Alan, should I link it for you in these notes as well, or it's okay in just the the other notes? I think I have it permanently now on my uh, okay. on my taskbar. Okay, you bookmarked it. Yeah, <laughs> it pops up in your favorites now every time you try and open a new web page. Right. <laughs> stuff. That's the ten books, and um, yeah, they, they were they were good ones. I can't, yeah. I still can't believe we've read another ten books. Yeah. Well, are you getting bored? Um, 60 books now we've read? Absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. In, in many We're just ways, getting I'm, started. Yeah, in many ways, I'm more enthusiastic now than I was when we when we began. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great, I think it's a great way for people to fuel their own running. You know, if you're a little bit not really motivated and you get, grab a book or listen to one of our podcasts. Uh, there's something in every. There's something in everything you read and everything you listen to. There, that you can extract a little piece of information. The number of people I've spoke to in our club who, now that we're regular established podcasters, quite a few people listening to them. The number of people I've spoken to where they said, "Oh, you said this in your podcast, and uh, I remembered it, and I did this, and it was kind of cool." And I go, "Oh, did I really?" Oh, 
or or sometimes it's you. So I say, oh, did she really? Yeah, I don't have any recollection of it, but you know, people are. <laughs> I guess we say a lot of things. Yeah, we can't do. remember everything we say. No, some of it's obviously sensible. Mm -hmm. That must be it's a good thing we record saying. these. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, anything else to add? Just that if people, wanna... uh, if people want uh, specific types of books or was uh, to cover books, I've had a couple of notes from people, but feel free to send us uh, a message somewhere on social media. It's it's nice to receive those, and we reply to everything. We don't get that much, so no. it's easy for us to reply to everything. It is, and we like doing it. Sure. So thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. If you'd like to leave us feedback on how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like to review, just like I've said, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please be sure to follow us to find out about new episodes when they're released, or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. If you've been listening for a while and are wondering how you can help us out, there are a couple of ways. If you enjoy the podcast, spread the word. Tell your friends about us or share a link of your favorite episode with a running partner. Also, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate uh, reviews. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast on Apple, you can leave a review there or you can leave us a, a, a rating of stars on Spotify. We are also on a platform called Buy Me A Coffee where um, you can go and buy us a coffee, so to speak, or you don't have to buy us a coffee. You can just go on and look at some outtakes and extras that we've posted up on there uh, if you haven't already had more than your fill of running book reviews. So that's all for us for now. Looking forward to speaking you, to you again soon for another episode, and bye for now. Bye. Bye.